Clubhouse. Welcome to the Pop Culture Review Podcast. This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Tonight we're looking back at the week that was for the week of March 12th to the 18th, 2023. Hello, folks. How are you doing? Hey, we're doing pretty good. This has been spring break, so it's been a crazy week for us. I know up there, while it's 80 down here, y'all are like still having snow? Uh, We had snow earlier this week. Today it's 50 degrees. You can never tell. (laughs) You can never tell. At least we've sprung forward now. We are actually getting more daytime. It's actually still kind of daylight at like seven o'clock now. I I was a winter guy my whole life. The older I get, the more and more I struggle with the darkness so early, the lack of daylight. Like it, it has really started to bother me as I've gotten older in a way that I used to embrace and love when I was younger. It's it's one of those definite signs of aging that it really bothers me now. <laughs> now you like raise your fist at them, like, get off my yeah. lawn, my yeah, circadian rhythm. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sad. Oh, no. <laughs> Seasonal affectation disorder, but also sad about it. Oh my gosh. You guys, this week we had some some finales. Can you believe it? It doesn't it feels like a weird time to have finales in the middle of March, but here we are. TV season means nothing anymore, the it, traditional TV season. It certainly doesn't. Paul, did you catch the last of us season finale? And if so, what did you think? Because you didn't play the game, right? We did we established this at the start of our last of us that that was the game you were into. Well, before I make my comments, I will say that I assume that you've watched the show, so I'm going to be free with my commentary. Having not played the game, there are some things that happened in that finale that I totally didn't see coming that that make a lot of sense with the characters. For instance, I mean, Joel finishing off an entire hospital, including his old friend Marlene. I didn't necessarily see that coming. But then again, he's been pretty hardcore this whole time. And this episode especially ratcheted up his surrogate daughter syndrome, whatever you want to call that, with Ellie to where we hadn't seen it before. I think we could assume a lot of time has passed between the previous episode and this episode and his attachment has grown by leaps and bounds. I think the baby girl at the end of the week's the penultimate episode really was like the indicator that that relationship had changed when when he rescues her and like holds her from behind and calms her down and calls her baby girl. I I think that's the that's that tipping point moment where the, the light had blurred and he was really thinking of her more as a daughter than anything else. Are you guys familiar with the phenomenon that's going on right now amongst women that because now Pedro Pascal, who's been around for a long time, he's had a great career. He's over in The Mandalorian for a while now. He's kind of taken on this like sex symbol status for a lot of the moms out here because now he's doing stuff like baby girl and suddenly he's this dad who who's like suddenly like taking care of this little girl and there's like this whole kind of like who's your daddy pedro pascal (laughs) going on right now 
I was not actually aware. That's not at all surprising. I'm not wearing my Paul's surprised face right now <laughs> upon hearing that. I have to say, you know, he's been on my screen for the last couple of years because watching Mandalorian and stuff like that. And I, I've never thought of him as anything. And I do have I do have to say whatever his PR people are doing now, whatever the TikTok world is doing now, he's got an awful lot of charming smiles and a lot of lot, like really hilarious commentary now a lot of us women are suddenly very pedro friendly well to your point i was flipping through instagram and i saw an advertisement for a, a game something about grandmas Talk about grandmas it was but it was a video advertisement and pedro pascal was the star in this game oh. and, and 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 they were and they were they were trying to recreate kind of a gritty, almost like the movie Seven kind of feel of like a detective. He's like running his fingers through his hair and he's like, I got to think like a grandma. And <laughs> so, it's, so it was meant to be funny, and but with this very serious, gritty tone at the same time. So, yeah, Pedro's everywhere. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, so he, he they were like doing all these interviews with him and he did this like polygraph test where they asked him if like when he gets like down on himself, does he ever go watch those little videos that all these people are making of him saying like what a sex symbol he is? And, and he he burst out laughing. He's like, I do go watch <laughs> to make himself feel better. That's funny. I was but like, That's but I think he also, I think he garnered a lot of street cred because someone on a red carpet, I think, recently asked him to read some thirsty tweets about himself, and he declined. Yes. So I think that bought him some goodwill because it showed he, a humility that he wasn't like full of a, a full of himself. You know, right. like, he was too embarrassed to go and do that, which I appreciate. Well, and also he has some sort of uh, crush on Rihanna, and so there's like all these clips of him being like, "Is that Rihanna over there? Is Rihanna here?" Did Rihanna get here yet? And it, it's funny. it's all very yeah. So he's being very like humanized, I guess, in a lot of ways. He's being brought out from these kind of niche shows in a lot of ways. Like I don't play a lot of video games. I don't watch a lot of video game shows. That type of stuff. But but bringing him over into sort of the mainstream for for a lot of us ladies, I would say. Well, I didn't watch Narcos, yeah. which is I guess his big first like starring Pedro Pascal series, but I never watched it. Did you watch it, Mike? I didn't. I only ever heard good things about it. Netflix is forever recommending it to me, but I've never sat down to watch it. I like him a lot. I, the memes of uh, like Mandalorian, like laying on the ground, kind of looking up, and then it's kind of a blurry Ellie or Grogu. You can't tell who he's staring at kind of thing. Like, I, I'm really enjoying the Star Wars Last of Us crossover memes that people are coming up with right now. He's <laughs> people are so moment. creative, aren't they? Good Lord. He is having a moment. Here's the deal. At this point, you guys, because of how well received The Last of Us has been and Mandalorian's doing well and everything, I would like the three of us to, like, hold hands in a circle and be like... Don't embarrass yourself. Yeah. Don't embarrass yourself. Please don't, don't do that. Please, like please that. don't send any don't pictures. Don't touch anyone. Please, <laughs> yeah. Pedro, please. Because I, because we can all see it coming, right? Like we, we've seen him rise up here and we see this beautiful blossoming star happening and you're like, oh, this is, feels so fragile, man. It, it almost feels like it's, it's never a question of if now. It always feels like a question of when. But this does feel like a good one. Guys, I think we might have gotten a good one on our hands so let, let us so. get that prayer circle going <laughs> uh carol you reminded me talking about this because the mets manager 
Buck Showalter, who is an older gentleman. He's He's been a manager for like 30 years on top of having been a player before. He's a longtime wife. He talks about his wife all the time. She shows up at games. Anyway, he's got a huge crush on Shakira. Oh. At one time, she was coming to the stadium and they were doing the they were doing the pregame interview with him. Someone asked him a question and his answer was, did you guys hear Shakira's going to be here today? I'm very excited <laughs> to meet Shakira. And then like three hours later, there was a question with the biggest smile ever. And she's like a foot taller than him. And uh, he had like his arm around her and the largest smile of any human being later. And that's all he wanted to talk about in the postgame interview later on. He was like, I got to meet Shakira. It was amazing. He was, it was very, he was very smitten. That was reminded me of Pedro and Rihanna. So uh, It's cute when, when you can be so vulnerable and just have a crush like that because guys are always supposed to be like these strong and you know masculine and like you know they wouldn't do anything and to see them be like mm, <laughs> i just love her henry really, cavill has a clip it. like that with miss shakira also have you seen that where he's talking to somebody he's in like a gray suit doing press red carpet kind of thing then he, he catches something out of the corner of his eye and then his head just jerks and then he goes was that shakira <laughs> and then when he looks back at the camera, his eyes are literally bugging out of his head, like like he just got an eyeful of something that he didn't want to forget. Well, the hips don't lie, so there's, <laughs> exactly. some, there's something there for sure. So The Last of Us, I, for someone who did play the game, the hospital scene, I felt like I had a controller in my hand. That's exactly how it how it plays out, that taking out the entire hospital. But thematically, it's like a triggered dad, right? It, it's someone who is in full protector mode, and I think the show captured that really well. The fact that they used real giraffes, I give so much credit to the show for doing for going that extra mile. That that's a that's a big moment in the game when they come through like that shadow hole in the wall. There's a giraffe there and she feeds a giraffe and you see it and it's all of a sudden because you're always surrounded by this death and destruction in the show and you have this nature is reclaiming moment with the big giant, you know, gentle giraffe. And it's like kind of like it's like surreal. It is surreal. And everyone was like, oh, what bad CGI. But it was a real giraffe. So which is also funny because <laughs> everyone always wants to shit on CGI, whether it's good or bad. They just assume it's bad. But it was a real real giraffe. So, yeah, I mean, they captured that moment. And then obviously the moment, which is the emotional linchpin for the season, she asks him if what he told her was true about the fireflies and the cure. And he lies to her. He makes the choice to lie to her, which is pulled right from the game. It plays out almost exactly like that and is a real catalyst for what comes later in the second game and presumably in the second and third seasons of The Last of Us, because my understanding is they're going to take the second game and convert it into multiple seasons. So I, I thought it was a great ending to a powerful season of television and one of the better adaptations of a video game into a movie or TV show. Did you catch the Ashley Johnson tie-in at the beginning? When I saw her, I was like, <gasps> and then it took a while, Paul. Was it an entire day later when I when I blurted it out? <laughs> yeah. She, he, he was like, do you remember Ashley Johnson? And I was like, from Growing Pains? And he's like, yeah, look. And I'm looking at her and looking at her. I'm like, what was her name in Growing Pains? And then literally it was like an entire day later and we're driving down the street and I go, Chrissy. It was Chrissy. Her name was Chrissy. Like it just came to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, yes. Yeah, it was so weird to see it. So she she played she Bella Ramsey's mom, but she was Ellie in the game. There you go. So she was she's yes, that was right. More prominent right. as a voice actress these days. But I mean, I don't know what they did to make her face look like Bella Ramsey's, but it looked they looked like they could have been related. I, <laughs> I just when, it, when, when, it, when the scene first started, I thought we had jumped in the future and they were doing an older Ellie had oh. become pregnant. 
and, and then then I realized, well, then I realized what was happening. I was like, oh, this is a flashback to Ellie being born pretty quickly, but it looks so much like Bella Ramsey. I thought they had done some kind of age up makeup or something like that on her. That's how closely I thought they looked like each other. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great job. People talk about that we've passed the end of peak television and now it's just cluttered television. This kind of TV is all I need. This Mandalorian, the current season Mandalorian, the current season of Picard, like these are big franchised IPs, but they're working for me, though. Maybe they're not high art, but I think they're pretty fucking well done and I think they're good drama. There are worse ways to spend your time watching TV for sure. What did you think of the Mandalorian this week and the divisive departure from the Mando's plot? I am okay when shows do this kind of thing. I will tell you, Tom sitting next to me said, we haven't seen Mando yet. And I said, I don't think we're going to see him in this episode. It just feels like at this point, we are not going to see him. You have to do a badass dog fight. Uh, so there's that. You have to have faith in a show and in a, in a show that is mapped out and, and is, it plans to run for a while. You have to allow a show to introduce other arcs like this. I have no doubt that the seeds of the First Order, which is which is ultimately where I think they're probably going to go with the storyline uh, and Pershing and the cloning, it, it'll all come back together. You're never too far from the Kaminoans and cloning and the and Boba Fett and Jango and and the way that interacts with Mandalorian lore. Yeah, I I, I think it's fine. I, it didn't bother me. I thought it was a well a, a well done episode. So I understand why it would be jarring for people that it has zero to do with anything we had seen covered so far i like i have i have faith in the show i have faith in favreau i have faith in filoni i liked the kind of the symbolism of of the mountaintop poking through the city the woman encouraging pershing to 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 touch it as if to embrace that last bit of imperial whatever poking through his personality but then just like he did with the mountaintop getting in trouble for that although that that section of the episode ran at sort of a different pace and different tone than the rest of the mandalorian and to some extent it reminded people of andor and i could see why it did i've also read some of the stuff that people have put out afterwards kind of do, doing exactly what you just said mike which is tying in the post-war effort to draw down the military which they are showing through Pershing and and the dry docked star destroyers that they had on Coruscant which in reality they would not be on Coruscant you don't do that sort of garbage work on the capital planet whatever but that like you said would would lead you know 20 years on to the new republic being vulnerable to a first order attack which is what happens I mean, for those that haven't, those are that are Star Wars fans, but haven't read them. You should read the the trilogy of books that came out that fill in the gap between the Battle of Endor, which is the end of Return of the Jedi, and the start of the seven, eight, nine movies. You know, beginning with Force Awakens. I always want to say, yes, the Force Awakens. The the there's the series of books that fill in that thirty year period or most of that thirty year period, and you understand from reading those books, the First Republic, the New Republic is never on firm ground. It is forever a shaky organization, barely being held together by bubblegum the entire time. It, it, it never finds its footing. So the fact that just in the immediate aftermath in the Battle of Endor, you already have these quote-unquote reformed imperialists already plotting, you know, for the good of the Republic and, and all that kind of thing that, like, you hear Pershing say the way he's trying to convince himself the reason to continue cloning. That's the entire life of the New Republic. 
public in that 30 year gap. So I like that they're showing that because at some point, if they continue this down that road, the first, the new Republic is going to fall apart and the first order will rise up and the old remnant of the empire will reemerge. People will be like, well, how, why, how they had this great new galactic democracy. No, it was never firmly entrenched. It always had problems. It was always on shaky ground. The, the core worlds, the mid rim, the outer worlds, they were always in a state of flux. They were always in a state of uneasiness so i like that they're showing that and showing that on the core world uh, like coruscant i think there has been some undercurrent of people hoping that favreau's version of post return of the jedi lore would somehow i don't even know why people think this but somehow overtake the force awakens and, and those movies and and kind of rewrite history I don't see why people think that. I, I, I can guess I can see why people would hope that, but but, uh, but yeah, it's not happening. And and tying the laces together with story threads that start kind of somewhere in between those stories, Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens with Mandalorian makes sense just managing the property for Disney's sake. There were other things happening in this past week. Ted Lasso season three premiered. The final season of Ted Lasso as we know it is premiered. Are you guys watching? Do you do you wait to build up some Ted Lassos before you go or do you watch week by week? What, what's your Ted Lasso viewing? Or do you watch the screeners like I did and I'm through episode four and I want to know more what's going on now? So far we've seen the first episode. You should pop in the screeners. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's just for Paul Paul and Caroline. That's not for you guys listening. You don't have access to our screeners, but you guys should go in and watch it. It's pretty good. I think the part that I enjoyed the most was was uh, Ted high roading Nate in the uh, press conference. Always, always Ted goes the high road, but gets ahead for it though. And I like that Rebecca dealing with she's she's so consumed by wanting to beat Rupert that she wants Ted to be someone that he's not. And then you get that text from Keeley saying, great job letting Ted be Ted. And 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 that's the kind of cold water thrown on her that Rebecca needs to be brought back down to earth. I, I like that there are always characters that check the other characters. Each one has a person that can kind of grab their arm and say, no, no, come back here. You've gone too far afield. It's, it's one of the things the show does really well. Well, and I don't know if I need to go back to that fresh feeling of divorcee, anger, revenge. So I hope that that's not the entire season because we got we did that. You know, we we this is season three and and she's been in a nasty divorce, post-divorce now situation this whole time. So, I, you know, I don't want to retread too much ground with that. So I kind of hope we don't make that be like the main thing is that we care about the ex-husband. I hope that there's a lot more layers to it. Now, we've only watched the first episode, so I can't tell you what's going to happen. But I don't know how you how do you feel, Paul? I mean, are you do you do you need there to be like that to be the, the push is the ex-husband? Well, she explained sort of her her own personal motivations and in terms of, you know, at first needing to destroy him and then where she's at now or not destroy him, but destroy the things he loves to where she's at now. I get it. I think I get it. I wish it wasn't manifesting in such a frantic, frazzled sort of thing, because that does sort of go against the rest of the character that we've come to know. But on the other hand, they have a year, they have a season to prove themselves or they get relegated again. And then it's hard again to get back to where they are. Of course. So there is some urgency to needing to to not be last. So right. I get it. I get but there's it. a difference between the urgency to not be last and the full focus being on the ex-husband's team. 
there's a difference between those two things. And I'm saying like, man, I hope it's not just completely ex-husband driven the whole time because we've done that. So I'm like, it would be okay if, if we kind of took a little different tact. These characters do evolve. I, I don't think it'll be like that, but I think she'll she'll catch herself before she gets out of out of whack. Yeah. Mike, what do you think? I know obviously you've seen a lot more, but just in that and that inst- that that moment when you saw Ted back on your screen uh, about Rebecca and 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 reacting to Rupert as as a way of going forward. Sure. How about Ted not feeling like he's in the right place anymore? For Ted, that's Ted's journey, right? The the fact that he's actually a voice that now, and they 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 took the time to start with Henry leaving and going back to America, and knowing this is the final season. When you put together that you, they have said definitively this is the end of Ted Lasso's story, leaving the door open for maybe spinoffs. That has to be his question: Why am I still here? We haven't won anything. I miss my kid. I've proved whatever I was going to prove by being here. Why am I still here? I think that's a valid question. You know, and and Henry reminding him, you know, about Nate and the Lego and all of that maybe goes towards the answer of, well, you're not done here. You actually haven't finished what you came here to do. It makes sense to me that Ted is asking that question. I need Rebecca to move on from Rupert. She she needs to find a different motivation for sure to to do what she wants to do. Remember, she she bought the club because she wanted to sink it as revenge. That was where she started. Mm -hmm. So her arc has to be wanting to own the club because she wants to own the club and and create something magical and and do something special agreed that's that's arc that those are those are the character arcs that i think most people care about maybe roy and keely obviously those are two that should be together they should not be apart so their arc is how do they find their way back to each other without using their life schedules their work schedules as an excuse and will she have sex with Jamie Tart in the meantime? Ooh. Well, f- for sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's forever a question on that show. Will someone have sex with Jamie Tart? Uh, <laughs> I think it's a 12 episodes, 12 or 13. So they've got a, quite a bit of room to, to explore it. And I'm sure there's going to be some dragging of their feet. It feels like the story has enough time left to complete its run. And I trust Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt and, and all of them to to land the story. They, I think they've done such a good job, even in the episodes that other people didn't like, even like Coach Beard's Night Out weird episode. I like that episode. So uh, uh, maybe I'm a Ted Lasso apologist, which I, uh, I'm fully okay with if that's the case. But uh, I, I trust them to land the story. Did, did you watch Love and Thunder? Yeah. Did you watch all the way to the end with Brett Goldstein as as Hercules? Yes, 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 yes. Which, which surprised me because I saw it when it first came out, so it hadn't leaked that he was in the end credit scene of that. The the movie tricks involved. When I look at him, his his shoulders are about as big as mine, but somehow on the big screen, he pulls off Hercules. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I actually thought my I came out of that and I was talking to Top about it because we saw it together and I said, he looks a little too too skinny to be Hercules to me. <laughs> right. I mean he's the god of strength, right? I mean, come on now. The end of Ted Lasso though did lead to the announcement that Hannah Waddingham, who plays Rebecca, will be in Mission Impossible Eight. Oh. So I guess the, the freeing freeing up the scheduling of shooting Ted Lasso will allow her to be in the what's supposed to be the final Mission Impossible film, or at least the final Tom Cruise led uh, Mission Impossible film. Ethan Hunt's getting old, like sixty now, isn't he? Sixty one, maybe Tom Cruise. I wonder so. if that movie will have like a very analogous plot to like Maverick. 
Well, to be like, you know, you've been doing this a very long time and you should be retired by now. He's like, well, I'm a spy forever. You know, (laughs) (laughs) we need you to teach these young spies how to spy. Yeah, I can see that. John Voight's going to return in the Val Kilmer role. Totally. And and said, say, you got to teach these these young spies how to spy. That's going to be like the movie trailer. (laughs) He throws his his disposable face mask in the garbage instead of the rule book. Yeah, he's all. It's just, it's just a beat for beat remake of Maverick. I'm gonna but teach you young spies how to spy. <laughs> and then they don't spy good enough, right? Of course not. And then he takes off and starts spying, like the, the best spy like that ever spied. That the spying that they need to do is spying that he's perfectly fucking capable of, right. but he's stuck being their teacher. Right. They need to level up to right. his spy level. Exactly. It's ridiculous. I mean, it writes itself, doesn't it? I think we already just did it. And they'll we find have, we get we get John Hamm in the movie. Yeah, get John Hamm in the get John Hamm in the mission. About that, I'm sold. Uh, we we teased it last week's episode that the Oscars are a big to do in your guy's house. Now that it's all been said and done, how did it go? How do how we're balloting? How were the festivities? I picked 14 correct out of the 23 categories. There were a couple of sentimental picks, I guess, that maybe led me astray away from the everything everywhere uh, steam train of power that that ran through the Oscars. I might, I might be the only person on the planet who was happy to see Jamie Lee Curtis win. It wasn't that I was unhappy that other people lost or wanted to see them lose. It's just I was happy it was her time, I guess. What about you, Caroline? Any Anything you were happy with? Oh, I think I was very happy when Brendan Fraser wins. Yeah. Very happy. Short round. Short round. Yes, of course. I feel like, you know, there was a lot of pictures after the fact that I actually really loved. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, so I, so I like posted like the picture of Harrison Ford and, and short round, if you will. Um, because it was so cute. Like they had the, the, him when he was such a little boy and then they have ones at the Oscar. And he was so genuine and so happy, you know, that's what I think. I think there was a real genuine like warmth. And graciousness about all of the winners. I, I really felt like there was, you didn't feel like you had that one who was like, well, of course I was going to win. You know, like everybody came up and was like truly like heartfelt about it. So I, I think it was amazing. In our house, the Oscars are a very big deal. We print out all the ballots. Um, our middle kid is is a taskmaster. She has our pens and our ballots laid out an hour before, at least. The people that they bring out as presenters... And I'm looking squarely at Harrison Ford on this one. I'm looking at Nicole Kidman. Are bad at reading. <laughs> are just bad. Well, I, yeah, I, yes. They yes. can't deliver those lines. And in fact, they say them wrong. Harrison said his line. I know. I don't know. Maybe it maybe, was really awkward when he said it. Maybe the prompter was wrong. Right. Let's just maybe give Han Solo a little credit that that it said when theaters go back to theaters. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. When, when, when they go back to theaters and theaters, yeah, yeah. it was super weird. But really, but he was like the second or third one to do that. Yeah, yeah, but only really, I would say, like Julia Louis Dreyfus and other people that were more accustomed to more of an improv comedy. Like yeah. uh, they, they were okay. I thought it was not awesome ultimately to have the 
Little Mermaid commercial inserted into the ceremony. Yeah, I, that, 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 that was, was a bit tone deaf to me. I, I don't think that was a great move on anyone's part to do. Now, that. why do you say tone deaf? What does it mean to you? To put to put a legitimate like a legit commercial. I mean, I know it's ABC and so it's Disney, mm-hmm. but they they did a just a brazen commercial for one movie upcoming. Right. If you're going to do that, then do for a bunch of upcoming movies. If 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 the part of the thrust is let's get butts back in seats and the theaters theaters and let's do that then have multiple you have john wick coming out this week you have uh you have a ton of big block blockbuster movies coming out over you had shazam coming out this week you have john wick coming out next week you have like do a lot of different commercials then if you're going to do that well the question mark was why not just play it as a regular commercial why why insert it in the middle of the show and it's for all the reasons we know is because we would have all fast forwarded through the ad. It was only because it was inserted in the show that we sat through it because we didn't really know what they were doing. You know, we we're like, oh, OK, this is like some sort of presentation it's of just, something. Even even though the, the ceremony has to be shown on a channel, it's still supposed to kind of be this impartial. Yeah, a little neutral. I agree with you. Yes, completely. If it was on NBC and they showed a Godzilla movie because it's universal. People would freak the fuck out. Well, see, I think it's what we were yes. just saying, though, about the idea that we feel tricked. I think that's really what is makes everyone butt hurt is that we would have fast forwarded through the commercials, all commercials. And I'm not saying anything about Little Mermaid. We'll watch Little Mermaid. We'll absolutely go see it. I'm positive. All commercials we fast forwarded through. And so I, I feel like we felt tricked. Like once they actually played it, we were like, it was just a commercial. They weren't going to present right. anything to anybody. Drink your Ovaltine. Like, yeah, we, uh, yes. I, I didn't feel tricked. I I thought it was tacky. I thought it was a classic example of corporate like synergy gone grab. too far. Yeah, corporate synergy gone too far. Just because you can, Disney, doesn't mean you should. Always those shows are so tight on time and you're cutting these people's once in a lifetime moments down to like their 20 seconds. They have to say something. So if we spent four minutes on a commercial for a movie that, like I said, we're going to go see it. I, we would definitely go see it. It's. It feels like you were taking away from the time of those people who are having their once-in-a-lifetime moments. It's also a bad look because Jimmy Kimmel based a lot of his comedy around, and I think Jimmy Kimmel actually did a pretty good job. I thought he was he very funny, mm-hmm. but a lot of his comedy bits were around, we added back in 15 categories because you bitched about it, and now this show's nine hours long. That's a bad look when you're also taking time out to do a Disney commercial in your Disney-produced award show. Right. I mean, you know, a lot of people would say, hey, if you if you're the one who who decided to be the host, then you get the choice of how you want to handle some of that stuff. But I agree, especially in a year when so many smaller films won and were having kind of their moment to shine, there was kind of a eye roll, I guess, to have a big blockbuster movie be the one advertised in the middle when like The Whale or, you know, everything, everywhere, all at once were these much smaller independent films and they were the ones winning the awards. But it's like, let's not forget about our big daddy, you know, movies over here, right. you know, like the well, big Disney D. They pay I the also bills, hate right? the Disney. I hate the Disney live action remakes. I abhor them, in <laughs> fact. Well, uh, Little, Mer- Little Mermaid is my favorite Disney movie, the original. And Lion <laughs> King is my second favorite Disney movie. And the fact that they are... 
besmirching them with these horrible bullshit live reaction live action remakes that don't need to be made in any way shape or form and it doesn't have anything to do with casting to be clear no, because that's it's like the content it's the but, idea but that's the huge of it thing that everybody beauty is like, and the beast should not have been made li- live right. live action remake uh, right. lion king should not have been made I remade think, was a it live jungle, action jungle book that was one that was like a ooh, I don't well, that know one was okay doing. that one was probably the best reviewed of that no bunch. i know but as soon as they started that it was like wait what are we doing what are well, we doing Just that's the one cartoons see favreau made that one and then they were like that's like printing money let's do that again and then they made of course it's lion right. king it's the it's the, the like creative cartoon bankruptcy of of the industry is we'll just redo ip here's the thing jungle book how old is the original animated jungle book that's that's from the first maybe golden age of disney little mermaid lion king beauty and the beast all the way up through like Tarzan and Princess and the Frog, like that that ten year period of Disney is a really recent golden age of Disney animation. You oh, shouldn't no. be fucking with those titles. I think you just got old though on accident because it's only are... thirty years. Thirty years oh, is not like that long. But <laughs> okay. for, for purposes of mining your IP, go remake Snow White and Cinderella and and those those ones that are are eighty years old. Thirty years is too short a period. To, to be reminding you're only one generation away from the people who watch those give it 20 years and they'll do a live action remake a toy story <laughs> yeah you'll the cars they're, they're gonna be they're gonna have like live action cars talking to each other it's gonna be all teslas let's get back to the oscars did you guys have any any categories that were a big shocker for you guys or any winners that you were like that was absolutely well deserved i'm super glad they finally made it up there or anybody who were like i had no idea they were gonna win and that was crazy I think All Quiet on the Western Front won more awards than I thought it would. I know it did well in all of the run-up shows, but it was so drab in vibrancy compared to some of the more front-runner movies that were there. So I I was surprised it won some of the awards that it won. For me, this is controversial, I think Kate Blanchett was better in Tar than Michelle Yeoh was in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Though, I think Everything, Everywhere, All at Once should have won Best Picture. I think... I think Stephanie Hsu should have won the supporting actress over uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm happy it won the awards it did, but I would have arranged it slightly differently. The one that I was positive was going to win, I, I think I had even made a bet that I would eat my hat if it didn't, was Not To Not To for original song. So I was very happy not to have to eat my hat, and uh, I was able to do the dance the entire time that they were on stage. You did the dance? Their oh, yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah, my neighbors downstairs for me complain incessantly. You had to get out your suspenders like really quickly, huh? Um, I, had, I had them right. I knew it was going to win. I was prepared. <laughs> I was prepared. And that, the guy accepting the award was so cute. He came on, started singing Carpenters. I don't know if you listened to his awards. Uh, yeah, we saw like, that. Yeah, he's yeah, like a big chubby Indian guy. And he's like, I grew up listening to the Carpenters. And then he sang like his like acceptance speech in the in the like a parody of a Carpenter song. It was very adorable. <laughs> I see. And I thought that every winner was was really 
like heartwarming. Like everybody kind of made you put your hand to your to your chest and be like, oh, I'm so glad that they won. Like did, showing moms and stuff like that. Did, did I miss anybody making a big political stand? You know? I don't think you did. Think That's so. what I'm saying. Like I, nobody, nobody did that. And nobody got up there and was like, you know, I, I don't know, took it too sternly or too seriously in, in the sense of like wagging their finger at anyone or doing any of that kind of stuff that makes you feel like, God, what was with that person? You know, like none of that. I felt like everybody was there happy, smiling and waving to their moms. Like it was like very cute. I think the closest was maybe Sarah Polly. Uh, she won Best Adapted Screenplay for Women Talking. She took she took a dig at women, especially women writers in Hollywood, which which made me chuckle. And I, but I, I honestly, I think that was the closest to a political statement of any kind. I think it was just a lot of heartfelt. I can't believe I did it. Uh, and especially, you know, Jimmy Kimmel starts off making the Encino Man joke about uh, about the uh, Brendan Fraser and uh, Kihu Kwan both being Encino Man and now both being, you know, nominated for Oscars 30 years later. And then they both end up winning those kinds of moments. Those are great feel good moments. And for us, I mean, obviously, those are of our generation, like, you know, Brendan and, and Data, like we grew up with them. Right. In a lot of ways. And so to see them be like roughly our age up there in in very much like their second act in a lot of ways i mean we saw the story where you know they they were losing their health insurance you know couldn't get jobs didn't have anything anymore and it really makes you feel good like wow these are some great comeback stories and and familiar faces that we've missed you know for a while Mm mm-hmm Paul, I know you watched some of the Gotham Knights screeners. I don't know how many you got through. Uh, I watched them. Gotham Knights formally premiered this week. It's uh, airing Tuesdays on CW. Well, I watched the pilot. Uh, I thought that, <clears throat> A, that there's probably a big missed opportunity by not having any synergy with the Gotham Knights giant open world game that came out pretty recently. Which was much better than people gave it credit for. It was one of those games that when it came out um, didn't work on a lot of people's systems. Mm, A cyberpunk 2077 situation. Yeah. But once they got it fixed, then it all worked. And it may perform badly on some older computers, but um, it works. There are some similarities in, I guess, theme, but the cast of characters are completely different and the thrust of it's all completely different. So that's too bad that they didn't didn't make that work out a little bit better. So I watched the pilot and I don't know if I'll be continuing mainly because I don't know that this in in the James Gunn world is going to have a very permanent place in what he's doing. These stories are going to kind of un, unspool in a very familiar Greg Berlanti kind of way. Yeah. And um, that's going to leave uh, a season one with kind of an end, but but like not an end that's how he makes his tv they don't really wrap up so well they 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 give you a season ender but they give you something to look forward to to the next season and and some of the characters maybe i'm just getting old i think i'm just getting old like joker's daughter in particular man i don't know that i can watch hour after hour of her doing her thing She's actually the best one on the show once it settles in. <laughs> I, I, I watched all six. I was actually pretty into it. Uh, it. Was it the best television? No. Was it the best DC television? No. I, I think the main Hourverse Berlanti shows were all better than this. Mm-hmm. But uh, that character, Duella, I believe is the character's name. 
Olivia Rose Keegan plays her. She, she's fantastic. She's unhinged in a great way. She actually has pretty good chemistry with a lot of members of the cast and plays a nice role of, why are we doing this? It, we, there's no gain in this for us kind of voice, whereas all the others pretty much get on board with, let's let's be do-gooders. She's, she, is, she goes along with it is her role, but she's always kind of like... Mm, can I steal something while we're here? She, she's playing one of those kinds of characters. And I didn't like the main protagonist. No, and, he is super... Uh, the character, I think, is super unlikable. <laughs> yeah. Now, since I only watched the pilot and Robin only shows up in the last few seconds of the pilot, I didn't get a good sense of Robin. And I've read some things that suggest that she might be the strongest link to uh, existing DC properties um, and might might be something that could possibly move forward out of this show because there is a, a, a girl Robin in some comic continuities, but uh, I'm not familiar with her character. Did you know that 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 was a real character in, before you got into the show? No, only because I looked it up afterwards. I mean, there are there's her, uh, the Rose. There's a brother sister in the show that that are based in some comics, lesser known characters. I, I think Misha Collins as Harvey Dent is the biggest named, sure, known person, obviously in the show. And Misha Collins is always kind of money in the bank. It, he's always kind of doing what Misha Collins does, but I think he's doing it well here. I like the show really because it it's it's dealing with. I can't remember if the premiere deal brings up the fact of the quarter of owls. Uh, it it um, sort of. It's yeah. in the Wikipedia they, they bring page. It up. They bring yeah, it. Up. I mean, it's it's in like the first paragraph of the Wikipedia page for the show. So I don't know that's much of a spoiler. But I love whenever any properties deal with the Court of Owls. I like that topic a lot. I like I like I like the League of Assassins, and I like the Court of Owls. Kind of a secret Batman society first. kind of guy. <laughs> I'm a big secret society kind of guy. So this is this is a show very much dealing with the Court of Owls mystery and and what their fingers have in. Uh, how they're kind of entrenched in Gotham, much the same way that the Gotham Knights video game also dealt with the Court of Owls, deal with had completely separate characters. I didn't like that they created a brand new ward. I think that was my problem with this character. So he, uh, so the main protagonist is Turner Hayes, a, a, an adopted ward of Batman, and that's how it kicks off. Batman yeah. had so many adopted wards over the years. I don't know why they wouldn't use an established one to tell this story versus creating one out of whole cloth i feel like i feel like you'd bring in more hardcore batman fans if you depth if you dug into that lore a little bit more and i question the gotham child system why they keep giving him wards <laughs> things seem to be going not great really yeah it's it's questionable it's questionable <laughs> i think we need a better questionnaire I think yeah, that Bruce might be. Wayne, Bruce Wayne definitely feels like someone who can't have the lights on at Halloween, if you know what I mean. That, uh, that's probably the the biggest element of why this is a dead end pr property in the in the current DC world is that Batman in this continuity is dead. That's their starting point. Batman is dead. Where are you going to go from there? <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for the first 30 seconds of the show. Yeah, exactly. I, I, th th that's the other thing that I th ultimately you nailed it on the head. Ultimately, this is a dead man walking property because it will never fold into Gunn's universe. 
and it's it's never going to spawn an hour hour over an arrowverse like universe where other shows will spring from it and really do that world building that engrosses those fans it will not have a television cinematic universe to grab onto enjoy it for the amount of episodes that's going to run it probably won't get a second season uh, even if it does it's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to be this little stunted property over here, which is which is a shame because it has potential to be something, but DC can't get out of their own way ever. That's why we have an Ezra Miller-led Flash movie coming out instead of Grant Gustin, who was the best Flash ever, Who, but because he played him on television, DC wouldn't put him in the movie. They can't get out of their fucking way, and this is why they suck compared to Marvel. There you go. <laughs> Did you see that quote recently? from Mark Guggenheim, who was one of the producers from the Arrowverse. Yeah, a big creative force with him and Berlanti, for sure. And uh, apparently they can't get a callback from James Gunn and Peter Safran. So he has publicly said that he has wasted his time on working on the Arrowverse because yeah. he felt like he at least deserved uh, a, a meeting after after developing so much DC content. After doing the only good DC content for the last decade, it's the only good DC content that's been produced were the Berlanti Guggenheim, Guggenheim shows. I have watched all of it. Every minute of every TV show and every fucking movie they've put out in the last 10 years, those shows were the only good thing that they have put out consistently. And they just shit all over it. It's, it's, it's disrespectful to them it's disrespectful to the actors who brought those characters to life in a more believable way than Batfleck or Pattinson or any of the other parade of freaks that they've brought through those movies parade has ever freaks. done and they just took they pulled down their pants and they shit on them and the fans that's how I feel about it they deserve everything they get which leads us to Shazam 2 coming out this weekend which is underperforming and will be a bomb at the box office you guys saw it what did you think <laughs> Mm. Well, they shift the story quite a bit from, if you recall, the first Shazam was pretty evenly split between the kid, Billy, and Zachary Levi, and trying to find his place in this in the foster system and being an outcast at school, plus figuring out how to use his powers. And so there's sort of equal screen time there where you got to, well, the tone of it shifted mostly toward like discovery and and childlike wonder if you will even though there were the moments where mark strong or was you know tearing people apart and shit like that there was mostly still this this i'm this goofy guy with powers and shit like that but in this movie the kid is in it for five minutes yeah yes and the rest of it is zachary levi still kind of doing that that I'm a little kid in a big man's body shtick, but sort of, but not as much, which kind of created a little confusion, to be honest with you, because now, I mean, I'm a very casual watchers of these movies. So when we sat down and Zachary Levi's like, I'm going to be 18. And I looked at Paul and I was like, what, <laughs> what is he talking about? <laughs> and he'd be like, Oh yeah. Remember he's like, Billy. Oh yeah. Dur. I had to remember all that. I know, I know. Everybody who's listening is like Caroline Boo, but it's I'm a casual watcher. I admit of the of this particular brand. For me, the tone was really all over the place with the level of like disturbing deaths versus the kid jokiness like you're talking about paul like the light-hearted side the the like look what i can do you know oh my gosh i can i can 
fly up in the air or whatever. Yeah, there are moments of whimsy. Very much. But then there's like this totally crazy deaths that really come out of nowhere. And and I can think of two very shocking, we won't spoil it for you, but there's two very shocking deaths for me that were like, whoa, that wasn't played in any other way than the most serious, dramatic movie I've ever seen handle a death. Like this was very serious what just happened and and it it just it lasts for like a maybe 30 seconds and then the whole plot moves on as if that never happened and we don't we're not really even sad about it and it it was making me shake my head i had a hard time wrapping my arms around this one you told me a little bit about that and just in the two minutes you talked about it i pretty much decided i can't take my kid to see that who who like so many teenagers deal with mental health issues and and other struggles why why would i go show him that why why i really had like a moment where i was like what the like what were they trying to accomplish by doing that i honestly think it was just for the shock of it you know well they'd established that the that the baddies were bad mm-hmm. through comic book violence up to that point <clears throat> by comic book violence i mean not bloody right. but 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 implied through either you know velocity or circumstance you know you you just know wow. that what you saw resulted in these people's deaths without being explicitly shown that they no longer exist right whereas what the scene that caroline is talking about there's actually two i'm I'm getting about a second one too the same people do something very specific to a to a a character and they they, had just been established as being like one of the only trustable adults and the result doesn't isn't that you think that they are worse than they were after the scene where you meet them and and they kill a bunch of people. You mean the villains, yeah. Yeah. And so it's almost like an added like affectation to just kind of put the cherry on top that they really mean business. But you already knew that they meant business. And there was no other recourse at the time anyway. Like it's not like they needed to 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 do what they did at all. Not even at all. For me, you know, it's a it's a superhero movie. It's supposed to be like light and and fun. And yes, you know, there's action and consequences to things that happen. But the the way it was the way it was handled. It was the it went from a from a, a comic book movie to like a drama in like just these like two moments that I was like, what in the world? And you guys will maybe maybe next week we'll we'll spoil it and talk about it, but. Um, but it's too new for this week. So we will not spoil it this and week. And then they flip back to Zachary Levi being like, you guys need to watch my PowerPoints. And, and yeah. it's, and it's... Or like a fart joke or something. <laughs> right. And you're like, huh, no, why did we do that? Okay. And then it's we didn't, okay. and then we didn't yeah, even yeah. care though about that trusted adult anymore. The fact that that happened had no impact on the rest of the story. That felt like so gratuitous then. Like it felt like, why did you do that? That the character wasn't coming back into play. You didn't have to do that. And you just created like this very, I mean, we, we have teenage kids. And, and after the fact, when I brought up the one scene, our son was like, what was that? And he's, he said the word that I keep hearing over and over. That was really disturbing, mom, that they showed that. Like, why would, why did they show that? And why did they, why did they make that sound with it? That was so disturbing. Um, and I was like, that's the exact right word. I, it's, it's I like thought you, it's so gross it, and bizarre. It's like the, the director wanted to pick and choose like his, his Snyder moments to drop in, and then, but then keep it bubblegum the rest of the time. 
you've just you've just summarized all of DC's approach to movies. <laughs> just disjointed, nonsensical, mixed message on who it's who the demographic is supposed to be. They again, they can't get out of their own way. It's it, it's the perfect encapsulation for everything wrong with that studio. It's, it's not better than Black Adam. And I did not like Black Adam because for the you, same types yeah. of things, though, of having those plot moments where you're like, why did they go here? Why in the world? Black Adam's been out for a while, so I can just say what I'm going to say. Why are zombie skeletons coming out of the ground? Why all of a sudden is Satan involved? Like, I mean, it, it, I felt like they got off the rails. I was like, OK. Here's so, the thing. Yeah. Not once in the last three, four years have I thought to myself, when is Shazam 2 coming out? Shazam? (laughs) And no one has. No, I don't think Zachary Levi has. I think he's probably more pissed (laughs) that he's losing the gig on Maisel more than waiting for Shazam 2 to come out. Come on. Who's asking for this? And then this is what you do? No. Here's the thing. I'm going to speak from a, a, a woman point of view. Because he was on Maisel and because he was kind of a dashing guy, he had my attention for Shazam because I was like, okay, all right, you're going to come over here now. I want to see what you're up to. And then he played this goofy, silly thing, like Paul was saying, like 50-50 playing like a 16-year-old or whatever. And so then this one, I was like, okay, I remember old Zachary Levi. Like, it's been a while. It's been a while, dude, but but good to see you. And then he comes on and he had, when I say, I mean, I don't know, this is an R-rated podcast, no? Yeah. yeah I, I've Boys, do I have do I permission to speak I've freely? I've many times this episode. Uh, no, I'm going to be more graphic than that. Whatever lady boner anyone had for Zachary Levi, to me, left that theater limp as a noodle because there was nothing happening with Zachary Levi that was remotely like Which, anything like that. I won't speak to lady boners, but I, but, I, <laughs> but I will say that if you look at the character Billy and then look at the character Shazam, the character Billy is like this dour angsty worry wart teenager yeah right but somehow when he's shazam he's this goofy talkative uses a lot of slang lots of energy they're supposed to be the same guy just right. in a different body you get no sense of that that's true here especially in this movie with the little bit that you see billy he's still the only times you see billy is when he's coming to people to be like oh you guys i'm so nervous about this that's it and then when he's zachary levi he's like gee guys come on and it's like but he's like laughing and stuff he's like let's play around with this and let's let's joke with this like he's not he's not you're right he's not the same as billy at all and on the flip side I can't figure out why why they have such an, a really even tone in terms of like sexuality and everything when it comes to all of these heroes, right? Because they're kids, except for the one girl who I swear to God, when they remade her costume, I don't know what they did, but they did they did the Allah like where we we're gonna put a chest plate on you. That looks like your gigantic chest. And it's like, <laughs> what are you doing? She was supposed to be a kid. And it's the same actor playing both the the kid, Mary, and the superhero, Mary. So it's the same person. And you're like, what are you doing? We're supposed to look at them all as children. What are you doing? It was weird to me because then, they, then if they're going to use the same actor, I don't think they should have done that. It, it, the thing is that, right, like Shazam, the fun of it for me is it's sort of like the movie Big, but we're superheroes, right? Mm-hmm. So we all sort of got into these bodies. Well, so then remember how awkward it was in Big whenever they tried to sexualize that situation? 
It yeah. got super weird. Yeah. I feel the same way about this. The don't, kids say cringy these days. Okay. Well, don't even do that. Like, I felt like Mary, like, should just, she should just be a studious kid. She doesn't, they don't, they don't need to do that to her because nobody, nobody else got that treatment. So leave it be, you know, let them be kids. Well, <laughs> it's tanking this weekend. It's opening weekend. I think it'll be out of theater soon enough, and then we don't have to worry about it. There you and go. then we can get onto the gun universe properly and see whatever they are going to do with that. Here's the thing. I love James Gunn. I'm a giant fan of James Gunn. DC has just been... And, and I don't think it's any of the individual people necessarily. I think it's the studio manages their IP in such a way that it makes it almost impossible to have the same level of success that Marvel has had. Because even when they do get something successful, they always seem to kind of botch it in some spectacular way in, in subsequent movies or, or something. Questionable casting or problematic casting, what, whatever it is, there always seems to be something. And it can't just be all these different directors and creatives. That's just too much of a coincidence for us. Statistically, it, it, it can't be that. It has to be the, the ethos coming from the studio directing this is, is how I feel about it. I, th this feels like a super hard pass to me. I, I didn't need to see this movie at all based on the conversations uh, I, I've, I've had with you and, and, and listening to this. And, and no, no, thanks. I, I'm getting online to go see John Wick 4 next week. There you I'm go. I'm going to see Shazam 2. Are you guys looking forward to that? Tell me a little bit about John Wick 4. Nerdist's review says best action movie ever made. Holy smokes. Not even best John Wick movie. Maybe the best action movie ever made. I think I am going to have to do a rewatch to remember where we're at, who's dead, who's alive, who's aligned with whom. I do know that the third movie left John in pretty bad shape, but uh, I'd still like to remember where everything is at and who the faces are. Tom has never seen the movies. He's been too young for them. But now as he approaches 15, because it's really just violence, excessive violence and, and martial arts violence, which he's seen before. There's a little bit of bathhouse action in the first one. Um, yeah, but no, no, no female nudity. There were some male bear butts in the first one, but just some scandalized, scandalous, maybe bathing suits. But but nothing that I had to like close his eyes about the, the violence <laughs> is the real the violence is the real thing that you have to be comfortable with your kid or your teenager oh, yeah. watching. So we've very begun the rewatch. We've, we've we've begun the march towards the rewatch. So here's the thing. Peacock, for which I pay a ton of money for my pre subscription on peacock has the john wick movies but the first one anyway had it with commercials peacock why am i paying you all this money to not have commercials and you're putting fucking commercials in the middle of john wick no thanks no thanks so i have to go rent it from amazon because i don't want to watch it with commercials animals so, that's annoying animals no worst. i'm looking forward to it uh, i enjoy I mean, that is a perfect character for Keanu Reeves and his acting range and his he's the, he's physical abilities. One. You guys, let's let go of our hands for a minute. Let Keanu Reeves in the middle of the circle with Pedro, wrap our hands around each other and say again, please don't embarrass yourself. Please don't say anything weird. Please don't touch anybody. Keanu, you're doing good. Please don't wreck this because so far you're very much presenting as a good guy out in the world. And I very much want that to stay true. 
Thank so you. far, so good. That was our incantation. Dude's almost sixty, and he and he's got a pretty crystal clear um, reputation. I know, but now you better knock on some wood because now some some creepy things gonna come out of the woodwork. He, he enjoys snakes in his hair. He gives his Something money away. Freaky. I know. There's videos of him like people hitting his motorcycle, and he's and 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 then he's like, "Well, as long as it runs, then I'll be okay." If you don't, need- how about he takes like public transportation and stuff in New York City and all that, and all the time. And isn't like he's not like or picture after picture of him at all posing with women, but not touching them, having his arm around them, but not touching them. That's right. Well, so but let, let's just keep it up, though. Let's hope that <laughs> keep that stuff up. Keep it. Keep it high, John Wick. This is what we want. They are very well crafted action movies. And uh, Mike, they do have an element of secret society or two to them that I'm sure you know that I love that. When, yeah. when when they first introduced when Lance Reddick, who sadly passed away actually yesterday when Tom and I went to watch the movie, like it, the news had just broken as we were sitting down to watch it that Lance Reddick passed away at 60. All of a sudden, though, they're saying from natural causes, uh, it was very sad. Uh, he, he is the concierge at the Continental. And as soon as the Continental came out, I said, Tom, this is my favorite part of the John Wick movies. I love the Continental. It should have its own TV show about the goings-on at the Continental and the table and the the power hierarchy of the government that kind of oversees how all these assassins work, contracts and stuff. It's the second movie that introduces the contract network where you have, like, the old old-timey, uh, like, operators, phone operators putting out, like, the contracts and stuff. So I'm very excited for Tom to see that he hasn't watched yet. Don't tell him. Yes, I love the whole secret society component of the John Wick movies, but it's fantastic martial arts uh, action, which is hard to find, especially in an American movie. And John Wick is literally filled with them. And yes, there's a there's a a large proponent of gun violence mixed into the hand-to-hand fighting. Almost every it's like hand 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 gun gun gun. That's basically every kind of movement, but it's so well done, it's so well crafted, and it's an interesting story. A guy who lost his wife, dog was killed, present from the wife. So that's that's the premise for it. And he's had a fuck enough and his favorite car was stolen. And th- that's that's what makes a man break. You killed my dog in front of me and stole my Mustang. Uh, that'll and, do it. Yeah, that'll do it. And that that will. Yeah, I think I'm back in. That's <laughs> my, my John Wick impression from from the first movie. Let's uh, let's tease next week TV shows because next week I think we should talk about the series finale of Your Honor. Uh, Caroline and I have a nice interview coming up with the season two showrunner, Joey Hartstone, which by the time next week's episode comes out should be out. But then coming in right behind your honor with that finishing season two of Yellow Jackets, Buzz Buzz, Citizen Detectives, uh, season two premieres next Friday, Showtime streaming, Sunday airing on Showtime cable. So I think we should talk about that next week. What do you guys think? Did you say Citizen Detectives? Paul, yeah. we might have to put like some sort of yellow jacket citizen detective t-shirts on the Etsy store. All right. For Pod Clubhouse. That and the and the I want the um amateur armchair investigator for the Murdoch Murders t-shirt also put on the Etsy store. I love that. I love that. <laughs> As to say buzz buzz citizen detectives. That way we're, that way we're crafting our own phrase from established IP. We may, we yeah. may need to hurry up and re-binge season one because it has been a lot of tv since then and the plot had you know the the two timelines and it had 
a lot of unanswered questions and personalities and who survived and who didn't and which girl lined up with which woman and all that. And I'm afraid I don't remember it all that good. So I might need to to rewatch some of that. What about you, Caroline? Where are you at with your Yellow Jackets fandom? I also could use a little bit of at least like a summarization of remembering exactly where we were. Stop. Something because I do need to remember exactly where we landed. Like I, I have a good sense of what that last episode looked like, but I don't remember if there was anything else that was like a cliffhanger right near to the end. So this is I'm a show worth doing it for. It. Oh yeah, this it was good. Is, yeah, this is a very good show. I really like Melanie Linsky. Like she's she totally came onto our screen with candy too right and yeah. and job was like man i like her she 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 should be in a lot more uh, i really just finished the show pretty recently the first season and i i also feel like i need to rewatch it and i've i've watched i've watched all that's available out there for us to watch for season two even now sitting here processing it i'm like i think i need to go back and watch season one to get even more <laughs> out of it uh but i i did put together a short haiku review of season two if you guys want to hear about it yes, if you guys please. subscribe to our twitter you've already seen this but uh here's my season two haiku non-spoilers for yellow jackets mysteries deepen the pacing is very slow don't watch while eating <laughs> I, think, I think I think that is the big takeaway from it. The the pacing is very slow. I, without saying anything else, I feel like they take six episodes to cover what they would have done in like two episodes in season one, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. I think it's a show that's settling in for a long run. That's how it feels. Now, now that they are a hit and they know that they've got legs to run with, I feel like they really slowed it down and are giving out information a lot slower as to lengthen the runtime of the show. Last year at ATX, they had... A producer and not a Showtime executive, but a whoever it is that makes for Showtime, like the production executive for that company. I forget which one it is. It's not E1, but it's one of those companies like that. And they were very proud. They <laughs> they were they were um, there to be part of a panel about just uh, creating new IP. I think it was. And they had a lot of smiles. They were uh, so the idea that all of a sudden they became a little more comfortable with what they have because they know what they have now is not altogether surprising to hear, given what I saw in person from the people that make it. You heard it from his mouth, folks, straight from his lippies. Yep. We talked about the passing of Lance Reddick. I, I think that was the only. He was at Comic Palooza last year, and uh, he was here just before Resident Evil dropped on Netflix. I don't know what to think when I hear Natural Causes at sixty years old. I, I, I don't know what that equals. Cause From what I've read, what he was it, a robust guy. What it generally means is that it was like something medical that would have been like. Like a stroke or a heart attack or, you know, an aneurysm or something like that. Something that's like internal. It, there was no – all they mean by natural causes from everything I've read is that it means there was nothing external. It wasn't a murder. It wasn't – you know, there was no foul play. There was nothing like – something something in his body failed essentially for whatever reason and that's why he passed. It's 60 is far too young and you're right. He looked healthy and, and he was working and doing everything. So very sad. Yeah. I don't know that anyone has been in more significant things that I have loved over the years than him. 
he's just one of those guys that inevitably he was always going to show up in something that i enjoyed watching i mean he he's in a first season episode of west wing in a small bit part but obviously he was lost he played a, a, a an interesting recurring character in lost abaddon uh, with the yeah with the john locke's character he was in fringe which is where i really got to know him and really kind of fall in love with his abilities i know a lot of people know him from the wire a lot of people know him from the john wick movies a lot of people know him from bosch I mean, he did like over 60 episodes of bosch just a working actor who seemingly popped up in everything eventually but he was always kind of money in the bank on screen for me well he 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 always projected gravitas. You never saw him like show up in like Bermuda shorts and like a ripped t-shirt or something like that. He was always this certain guy that projected a don't fuck around with me <laughs> kind of air about him. And uh, when you needed that, you, you could count on Lance Reddick to bring it. The only news I have this week that, that feels worth mentioning is Willow is not going to be moving forward to Disney plus that just had one season that just came out a couple months ago. Now didn't watch it. Didn't watch it either. Don't care. I, I mean, I love Warwick <laughs> Davis, but like, I, I think I, we I, might've gotten to the bottom of why it got canceled. <laughs> Both well, of you yell, and we, don't care. <laughs> I, I don't even know that I would have mentioned this. If not John Kasdan coming out and saying, just because they've canceled, it doesn't mean it's never going to get made. Oh, he said Party Down took 13 years to get a, a get another season order. So there's there's always time for it to come back. Oh, bro. well, okay. I, I mean, mean, that's I that's something I like okay. to write that in like the dream journal and that's like a great idea and like stay positive, right? Or <laughs> like well, you're like you go. Right now with Bob Iger sort of like rewriting the the path forward for Disney Plus. Who knows? Maybe maybe this has something to do with that and it's kind of the murky numbers that streamers use to decide what moves forward and what doesn't. And we know that Bob is particularly looking at Disney Plus as like his main <laughs> project to fix before he leaves again. I don't know what those numbers are. I don't I know that the the little outlets that I pay attention to did not have any positive buzz for Willow at all. Mm. Like, it felt very much like y'all vaunted Willow for 30 years. It's coming. It's coming. Get your popcorn ready. <laughs> and then it came out and everyone was like, well, okay. Well, Ooh, wasn't Willow. the problem that, that there was like, like Willow was about Willow to an extent. Mad Mardigan was his, was his muscle, but it was like a, it was like a road movie with those two guys. Right. Whereas the show, it created a cast of other characters amongst which willow was one i think that's probably the main thing is that willow was just like part of it where uh, i think maybe a, a plucky young girl might, might have actually been like the one we were supposed to keep an eye on uh i like when you use the david s pumpkins we're part of it <laughs> right <laughs> i think willow is a perfect example of something that people think they want more of because it rings so true in the nostalgia meter because it's that age group that we are where presumably have maximum ad dollars to spend so we are we are prime targets for for marketing so they want to cater to us and we say shit like i want a willow tv show i right. miss willow right 
what is mad about you doing now? What is <laughs> mad about you? Is he still mad about her? <laughs> <laughs> Who is the boss after all this time? Angela. Angela. I, I mean, it's like it's like people saying, I would love a never-ending TV show. No. No, you don't. No, you love the never-ending story, too, but you don't want a TV. You do not want a TV show of it. Stop. You don't want a TV show oh of it. Oh, my goodness. I would love to see what happened to Ren McCormick and Footloose, but I don't want a fucking TV show of it. And I know I don't want a TV show of it. Did he end up changing other small towns in the South and bringing dancing to them? I don't know, but I don't want a TV show about it. Let's not make a TV like, show of it. You're a little old to come to the prom, Ren. <laughs> He's like the Johnny Appleseed of like right. dance moves. He just like goes town to town, drops Kevin it off. Bacon is not in our prayer circle. Oh, so. oh no. Oh no. <laughs> He just he just eventually became the Matthew McConaughey character in Dazed and Confused. That's exactly what happened. I want a show about that. Show me that into world. This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the Pop Culture Review Podcast for the week of March 12th to March 18th, 2023. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and rate, review, and subscribe. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. We'll read it on the air. If only if it's nice. If you're going to say mean things, we're not going to read it on the air. And know that we're going to have a voodoo doll of you in the back, so don't do that. But we do appreciate you guys listening. Right. If you experience any eye pain after leaving a bad review, you'll know why. <laughs> Put two and two together and you get a Willow TV show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.